Welcome to the Metaphorist's Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is the third and final part of The Antidote for Longing by Carl Dondonel. Carl Dondonel is a graduate of Viable Paradise and a full member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association. He and his family, plus their cat overlords, live on an island near San Francisco famous for its Victorian architecture and low speed limits. His preferred drinks are strong Swedish tea and single malt whiskey. This is Carl's third appearance in Metaphoresis, following Comes the Tinker and Papa Pedro's Children. Find him online at firewombats.com or on Twitter at kdondanell. That's K-D-A-N-D-E-N-E-L-L. The narrator, Thomas Baxter, lives in Bath, England, and is a student at Bath School of Music and Performing Arts. He has just started his own production company, with his first full show slated for 2024. Here's what's happened in the story so far. Lars Bjornsson, the banished Imperial Poisoner, has returned to court in disguise, where he is reunited with his old friend, the Imperial Physic Frederick Magnusson. Together, they investigate the mystery of Emperor Gustavus's illness and the apparent suicide of the newest Imperial Poisoner, Lord Anders. While the clues point to a possible coup attempt, Lars begins to suspect that Lord Anders has been feeding the Emperor an aphrodisiac known as Sweet Agony to ensure a new heir. And for an old man like Emperor Gustavus, Sweet Agony can be a deadly poison. Let's jump in. I told Friedrich the story of the Victoria, an imperial warship that patrolled the fjords around Oslo two score years ago. A strange sickness had struck Victoria's crew, followed by an extended refit in Tonsberg. As sailors began sleeping through their shifts, and they repeatedly raided the captain's store of sweet meats despite the heavy punishment meted out to restore discipline, one boatswain and a cook, both of middle age, died without warning. Emil Krogh, the Imperial spymaster at the time, believed the Tsar's agents to have contaminated the ship's water barrels and called upon the society to investigate. His suspicions proved false. The society eventually traced the crew's illness to a spiced wine served at the lusty mermaid boardy house. When questioned, the owner admitted she'd hired an unscrupulous physic with the goal of fortifying the desires and increasing the flow of heart's blood of her customers. The name Sweet Agony was said to have been coined as a salacious jest by the owner, but that part of the story is likely apocryphal, I said. An ingenious method to fatten one's purse, said Friedrich. Still, why would Anders implement such a ploy, knowing it had killed several men? We tested Sweet Agony and found it fatal only in extremely high doses, very impractical, and thus never formally adopted by the society, I replied. However, in repeated low doses, sweet agony increases fatality as well as desire. I hope that wasn't part of the society's test, said Friedrich. Oh, no. The evidence came to light during the Imperial Tax Audit of Tomsburg's orphanages. I said, 
One of Gustavus's reforms provided a small stipend to women who surrendered their unwanted newborns. Friedrich nodded. It's certainly better than abandoning them to nature, but the audit found an unprecedented cluster of bastards appearing eight to nine months after the Victoria left port. Turns out the Lusty Mermaid's girls contributed more than their usual share. Far more, I said, and cleared my throat like a lecturer at the Imperial Academy. Given all the evidence, I am confident we're dealing with nothing more than a simple overdose of sweet agony. Impressive deduction, said Friedrich, and gently applauded. His praise brought a flush to my cheeks. This isn't my first encounter with sweet agony, nor yours. What do you mean? Do you remember the awful punch they served at the Academy's Christmas parties, I said. Gah, he said, half molasses and half aquavit. It did enliven the spirit, though. That's because the society sells sweet agony to the senior students. That's terrible. Poisoning the best and brightest. It was no more deadly than the aquavit. Besides, the prophets go to the church. I tapped the cover of the novel next to me. Anders is, was, a much younger man. So his memories of the academy were no doubt fresher. And his romance became his limosomy. I trimmed a quill and found a piece of fool scrap. Fortunately for his majesty, and the rest of Europe, there is a simple counter-agent. I inked my quill and commenced writing. You'll need these herbs. Friedrich came behind me and read over my shoulder. Yes, yes. I can manage this from my stock. How do I prepare it? Grind everything into a fine powder and add it to a tisane of dried mint flowers and honey, I said, annotating my list. Put a spoonful under the emperor's tongue every hour until he consumes a teacup's worth. When he fully wakes, give him another four full cups, or until his piss turns clear. Then he could have some broth. What about sweet meats? I think the cravings will be eased by then, I said. He should be fit for court in a few days. Friedrich began selecting jars from his chest. I'll have the cooks steep some beef bones and onions with a pinch of white pepper. He turned to me. Anders' heart may have been in the right place, but he did us no favours. I suspect Anders did not take this road without encouragement, I said. The spy master can be very convincing. Maya had almost convinced me that she didn't love me. Gustavus Adolphus coughed again. I crouched behind the dressing screen, peering through a gap in the painted panels as Friedrich held a cup to the Emperor's lips. Please drink some more, Your Majesty. It's only mint tea and honey. How long was I sick? Asked the Emperor, his voice scrabbly. Five days. You're over the worst of it. The old man's eyes flickered around the bedchamber. The demon lights burned bright as the noonday sun. Where is my valette? And why is it so damn quiet? I thought it best you remain undisturbed, given the nature of your illness. Nonsense, 
You're an old hen clucking over nothing. Coughed again and accepted a swallow of tea. Just my stomach is all. Too much cake. Nothing to worry about. His dismissive tone crushed the small hope I'd been nursing. Most men sailing so close to death might see the world with different eyes. Not Stavus Adolphus. He'd always considered himself the Empire incarnate, powerful and unbending. No more? No? Agreed Friedrich. You were very sick, though. So much so that I called in a trusted colleague for a consult. I'm sure he could explain it better than I. He glanced towards the screen. Perhaps if your majesty feels up to it, I might arrange a brief visit. I shook my head, even though Friedrich couldn't see me. An hour ago, before the emperor began to stir, Friedrich had suggested that we reveal my involvement in his recovery. I'd agreed, eager to seize this singular opportunity to regain his favour. Now the plan struck me as foolhardy at best. The Emperor's gratitude was a coin rarely spent, and certainly not wasted on men who failed him. Later, perhaps, said the Emperor. I'm starving. Have someone bring me food. Friedrich rang the small bell on the side table. A moment later, the heavy oak door swung open and a servant entered. Some beef broth for his majesty, said Friedrich. At once, my lord. Close the door behind you. The servant bowed and departed, dragging the door closed with a solid thud. Help me sit up, said Gustavus. I'm not an invalid to sup lying down. Of course. Friedrich arranged the feather pillows and refilled the Emperor's cup. Your Majesty, I have good news. Empress Anna is gravid. Finally, that woman was burning through the candle of my patience. He sipped more tea and grimaced. Tastes like grass. Two quick knocks announced the servant, who bore a silver tray with a matching bowl and spoon. He arranged the tray on the bed and stood at attention. Out! said the Emperor, wielding his spoon with a steady hand. That, combined with his obvious energy, gave proof to the efficacy of the antidote. It was a small comfort, and I clung to it. Gently, Your Majesty, gently. You haven't eaten for days. Gustavus narrowed his eyes and set aside his spoon. All right, Lord Physic. Tell me of the Empress. Friedrich's demeanour immediately brightened. From all appearances, she's quite healthy, and I anticipate no problems, he said, though it might be prudent if she were to return to Stockholm as soon as possible. Bed rest is normally called for, even though it is not her first child. Fine! See to it personally. I will join her after I have dealt with matters here. Yes, Majesty, said Friedrich. And now that the poison is purged from your body, 
your usual vigour should return in short order. Gustavus finished his soup. Poison? Nonsense. Everything I eat and drink is inspected by Lord Anders or Lady Meyer. Too many sweetmeats. That's all. A braver man might have pushed aside the dressing screen and revealed the conspiracy. But my legs were weak. In that moment I was overwhelmed by memories of Gustavus's anger when he'd learned of my blunder in Russia, and his swift order to banish me. I crouched lower. Of course, your majesty. Of course, said Friedrich. It's as you said, nothing more than overindulgence. Gustavus closed his eyes. Send for my chamberlain. I want a fresh dressing gown. And more food. Just some bread, if you please, your majesty. Yes, old hen. Bread and butter. Now leave me. Friedrich Rose bowed. Yes, your majesty. I shall fetch the chamberlain. When I emerged into the travelling library, two men were waiting for me. Flintlocks pointed at my chest. Hello, gentlemen, I said. Oscar and Joseph, if I remember correctly. General, replied Oscar. He pressed a barrel to my forehead. Joseph turned out my pockets, relieving me of my poniard and flasks, then prodded me forward. Downstairs, sir. I know the way, I said. The dungeons at Stromson were much smaller than their counterparts in Stockholm, though no less disheartening. Chill dampness permeated everything. The Duke of Upperland's lagresse with demon lights did not extend this far below the castle. What little light there was came from lamps redolent of rancid whale oil. Tiny brazier burnt desolately beyond the iron gates of my cell, and the thin blanket on the straw-covered pallet did little to soften it. I shook it out and wrapped myself, wishing for my great coat. I sat and shivered, reviewing my mistakes. If I'd truly considered the risks involved, I might have hidden another weapon, or at least another flask, in my boot. If I'd been more alert, I might have heard Oscar and Joseph in the library. Might have fled back into the secret passage. Might have disarmed one of the guards. Might have made my escape. It's particularly damning when the arc of your downfall is rooted in one clear, defined failure. Mine was Russia. If I'd succeeded completely in my mission, I would most likely now be sitting by the fire upstairs with Friedrich gently laughing over the ridiculous preparations for the Emperor's upcoming fate. We might have had a game of chess, or a round of one and thirty with the spymaster and the Imperial Machine Mage, while dozens of functioners kept the business of Empire running smoothly around us. But I hadn't succeeded in Russia. I'd been more concerned with getting home safely than with risking a second attempt. Now... My breath steamed in the frigid cell. After a time, the corner brightened with the warm light of a demon lamp. My avicolon entered the chamber. Accompanied by my guards, 
Oscar hung the lamp from a rusty hook, while Joseph fetched a stool and placed it close to the cell's iron bars. Maya turned her head slightly. Wait outside. Then she perched on the stool. I stood and doffed my hat. Maya? A flintlock appeared in her right hand. With her left, she gestured to the pallet. General Bjorn, sir. Have a seat. She wore no rings or jewellery, nothing to indicate she was an influential member of court. Even her firearm was plain. With a patina of frequent use, very unlike Begita's pistol, I lowered myself with deliberate slowness to my scratchy mattress, keeping a close eye on her finger as it floated above the trigger. You look well, Maya? She possessed a fierce beauty that still attracted me, even now. I'm the same as I ever was, General. Loyal, she said. You, however, appear very tired. Life in the country has. Not agreed. So it is to be titles and formality, I thought. So be it. I never stopped being loyal, Spymaster. His Imperial Majesty needed me, so I am here. She nodded. You're loyal to your friends. I didn't think the Imperial Physic would be so bold as to contact you. Fortunately for me, Lieutenant Purnell's daughter understands her duty. She has given me a full account. After all these years, Maya still spoke as if she was still discovering the words. I remember when I found the habit charming, like watching a child sound out the pages of a storybook. Where's Lord Friedrich? I said. My men are holding him in his chambers. I will have a conversation with him presently. Her smile did not reach her eyes. Are these the same men who faked Lord Anders' suicide because they did a poor job of it? She ignored my barb. None of this would have been necessary if your successor had been more cooperative. When His Majesty began nodding off at court, the Imperial Poisoner refused to dose him any further. I presume that didn't stop you, I said. Indeed, Lord Anders left excellent notes. That and my own training were sufficient to recreate the formula, she said. I added the syrup to his majesty's evening cordial, much like you did with Aleski Mikhailovich. Or rather, his mistress. My face burned with shame. But all that is behind us now. The Empire will soon have a proper heir, and nothing else matters, yes? Maya pursed her lips. It's a pity about Lord Anders, though. He was a recounter, much like you once were. I will inform His Majesty that the young man fell into madness and took his own life. It happens, does it not? All that time spent with poisons. I've seen it only once. It, which is why cracked stone is always prepared in a room with open windows. This may be another such occurrence, she shrugged. The pistol didn't waver. 
At the end of the day, I doubt the Emperor will give the matter much thought. He has other concerns now. A birthday. A child. I wanted to reach through the bars and seize her hand. Try to make her feel that connection we once had. But such impulsiveness would probably earn me a pistol ball and a quick trip to the gallows for Friedrich. Instead, I focused on my words. His Majesty is an old man. He could have died. But he didn't, she said matter-of-factly. And even if he had, there are contingencies. Empress Anna and... A few well-chosen regents could guide the Empire. My duty lies to the Empire itself, General. Not the man. Everything and... Every one is secondary to that. Stand that now. The truth, so obvious now, pierced me. The woman I'd loved never understood honor. Perhaps that's why she'd never understood me. In the meantime, I find myself in need of a new imperial poisoner, she said. Someone willing to do... What is necessary? Without question. Do you think the society can direct me to such a person? I hung my head, resigned to hear the price of my redemption. I swear on my life I will protect Gustav Adolphus against his enemies and carry out his will, I said, repeating my society oath. Good. There is value in keeping oaths. Swear another Swear to silence. You will never speak of this. Not to me. Not to anyone. Ever. I swallowed against a dry throat. I swear. Please, spare Lord Friedrich. I have no quarrel. Relief flooded me. What else do you want from me? Nothing. She turned toward the corridor. I'm finished here. The guards entered, pistols drawn. Your carriage is waiting, Maya said, standing and chucking away her flintlock. Where am I going? Home, General Bjornsson. Where you belong. Home to your tea and your peacocks. Wait, you said you need a new poisoner. I hated the sudden desperation in my words. I saved the Emperor. I have earned the office. Yes, you certainly saved His Majesty from dyspepsia and... gout, she said. I'm sure this will be taken into consideration when the subject of your exile comes up. As far as an important court position is concerned, she shrugged. I have changed my mind. Good day. With a graceful incline of her head, she left. I stood there for several minutes, eyes shut and fists clenched, fighting back tears, until Oscar cleared his throat. I stepped away from the cell door and he unlocked it. I accompanied them through the castle, my back ramrod straight, eyes forward and lips clenched. They took me through the main gallery, the ballroom, and the reception hall, though my escorts said nothing. 
There was a subtle shift in the genteel voices and gestures as we passed, a clear signal that I was unworthy of their rarefied company. At least my silence will buy Friedrich's life. I held that thought close and prayed Maya would keep her word. At the front gate stood an ordinary coach. Its frame and the doors were painted a dull red, most often associated with common houses and barns. This was the meanest sort of conveyance, something a yeoman secretary or glad fleeker might hire on a rainy night. Even the horses had dull eyes. The driver, his head covered by a thick woolen cap, climbed into his seat. I shivered in the evening air and spoke for the first time since leaving the dungeon. May I have my coat? Joseph snapped his fingers. Another footman stepped from the castle and handed over my great coat. I thanked him and clasped the familiar garment to my chest. Your flask, said Joseph. I turned. He poured out most of the contents before tossing it to me. The spymaster does not wish you to act rashly. Never again. I seated myself on the cold wooden bench. No demon jars or blankets to warm me here. The driver clucked his tongue as the horses strained forward. The first tears came. No one had offered the barest courtesy and farewell. No salute, no blessing, not even a tipping of their cap. They had dismissed me like a villain without rank or station. I pulled the shades and inspected the great coat. The pockets were completely turned out and empty. My poniard was gone as well. Maya had apparently not wanted me to open a vein. At least not until I arrived home. With shaking fingers, I opened my flask and drank the remaining drops. As the dream caller took effect, I vowed I would someday devise an antidote to purge my heart of this longing and loneliness. I woke to the mocking call of peacocks. That was the antidote for longing by Carl Dondonel. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.